Hello everyone, I'm Drew. I'm Bailey. I'm Lacey. And we're sarcastic, so let's get sinister. Hi guys. Mm, what's up? Lacey, how's school? That's good. We're uh, a week in. Um, well, we're three days in. We're in our first week. Okay. Well, it feels she good. She doesn't hate anyone yet. I don't. I, I like my classes, and I'll knock on wood again. It has a good vibe oh. this year. I feel mm-hmm. good about it. Um, she's also... Like... She's currently mm-hmm. drinking a uh, Paps uh, beer right I'm now. I'm not proud of that. I'm not proud of that. Wow. I, I want everybody to know I'm not proud of that. That's my brother's favorite, so we're stocked up, and I just had open house and talked for two straight hours and came home and wanted to chug a beer. Huh. And this is what I have. It's an so. interesting choice, but okay. Yeah. It is chuggable because it's watery. water. Water. <laughs> um, Lacey, are you going to open your package? back to school for everybody. <laughs> I'll be back to school. Here's our stories. I will. I'm going to mute while I'm ripping did my you did, did is this from somebody else or did you just like forget what you ordered i forgot what i ordered oh that's i know i had something though. it is and it's soft i think it's clothes i don't order like a whole lot of clothes because it's annoying to get stuff and then stop the right size and send it back yeah. so i'm kind of excited so but um i like ordering stuff and then forgetting because like on the one hand you know you're gonna like it because you bought it mm-hmm. but then you forget <laughs> about it so it still feels like a surprise yeah it feels like a gift it's like a present Mm-hmm. It's Christmas in And also you can't August. be mad when you forget about it because it's kind of like for instance it's like drunk Bailey ordered that she's always taking care of me. It's another person. You're another person. One time in college drunk Drew ordered yoga um, like a yoga starting kit. Do you remember that Lacey? A yes. big yoga ball came to the she, house. For everybody listening, Drew doesn't do yoga. Nope. And she wasn't doing yoga at the time. And I didn't do yoga after that either. <laughs> but if she wanted to, she would have been able to. Yes. All right. but I remember I had it all. Was it something soft? Yes. I have a shirt that says Team Oxford comma. Mm-hmm. I think we just lost all of our viewers. <laughs> and and I have a shirt that says read books, drink coffee, fight evil. I like the font. What's well, we that in reference to? Is that like a... No, I just like... I don't know if it's a reference to... Like, I don't know if it's from something. I just like she's, it. She's fighting <laughs> evil in her daily life. Reading books, drink coffee. That's true. Nice. I'm excited. I forgot. I did get those. She's such a dork. <laughs> um, can I ask an English question? Mm-hmm. Is an Oxford comma just like a regular comma? No. no. Ooh, can I answer? Yes. Because I know. So if you were if if it, if you were going, this is Drew, Bailey, and Lacey. You would definitely put a comma between Drew and Bailey. The Oxford comma is the one that goes right before the and. Mm-hmm. So it's. 
Some people are like, you don't need that comma, but they're fucking wrong. It, you, it's Drew, comma, Bailey, comma, and Lacey. That is how you, that is English. That is how it's done. The Oxford comma is not. Negotiable. I don't feel I put it. No, it's part of the word. It's, that's, that's how. Do you want me to get you a Team Oxford comma shirt? No, because I don't. like you're on Team Oxford comma. I am. I just don't want to announce it to the world because like, as you can see, I get pretty heated about it. I don't feel like getting in a fight about Oxford commas. We're we're not seven minutes into this episode, and I feel like we've alienated a lot of people. The Just right the people. people. The right yeah. people are here. Hi, mom. Team Oxford. <laughs> Team Oxford comma is here, and I think Lacey's husband's probably sticking around. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. You know what I was thinking? I was like, we're gonna like call. Lacey a dork for these shirts, but Brandon's gonna comment and be like, I love her for that shit. <laughs> he will do. It's like such a nerd. We get it. He married you. <laughs> I was just on the phone with him on my way home and he was giving me feedback on the... He just listened to the part one of the Toy Box Killer. Oh, is he a fan? We were, we, he's we were really... talking about how fucked up that was. He's Wow, he's really on track with us. Yeah. Well, he was asking if we're going to do, if we have any more, like, the common superstitions and urban legend stuff coming up. Because he, he was like, you guys have been pretty dark lately. <laughs> That's for wow. October. That's right. I said, <laughs> keep listening. We have some. I mean, we still have all September. Maybe we should listen to the listeners and uh, ease up, <laughs> you, ease up you, on the darkness. You mean the listener? <laughs> well, just, I'm. I, we're not getting a lot of feedback. If, yeah. if he can't handle the darkness, I don't want him at our lateness. I like that. If you can't handle the darkness. <laughs> um, speaking of listeners, we have on uh, Spotify um, 160. We hit that's so cool. Uh, mm. We're just under 100 on TikTok. Nice. This is fun. Hi. I um, I just saw something that actually is like related to that. And it was a post that somebody made, and they were like, "Social media has kind of like messed up people's perception of like." Like, people will get 60 likes on something and be like, oh, that's not a lot. But, like, imagine 60 people coming up to you and complimenting you. And that would be, like, a lot of people. Yeah, and I'd be like, uh... Yeah, I... it would be, like, overwhelming. So, imagine mm-hmm. 160 people just with us in their earbuds just listening to well, us talk. That's I, kind of in my head, I get excited every time in... we get, like, a follower. Yeah. In my head, I'm still like, oh, it's just my mom. <laughs> <laughs> She's... She's just listening over and over again. <laughs> She's got 160 different accounts. Hi, Mom. <laughs> She's getting us our numbers. Yeah. Jan and Brandon. <laughs> With just a bunch of accounts. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, I'll get those your mom listen mama to? shirts. Mom listened to, like, the first two. And then she gets... I've recently gotten her into listening to books. And her logic is, because she's been using, like, the Libby app where you can get a, a library book and then it goes away after a couple weeks. And her logic is our episodes are always there. They don't disappear. So she can listen whenever she wants to. I'm like, cool. So, When's that going to be, mom? You know, you know, the, like, objective of, like, marketing? You just did, like, the complete opposite of that. <laughs> yeah. I'm going like, to start deleting episodes. How about that, Cindy? <laughs> Maybe it'll be there. Maybe it won't. Yeah. Hey, I'm, just, I'm like all revved up from open house. I'm in such a great mood right now. 
<laughs> she's Cindy. like a sip of beer and she's ready to go. In 2024, when you are eventually listening to this episode. Um, uh, 2025. Sorry. Uh, stop doing what you're doing. <laughs> Listen to I'm us. I'm going to tell her that we discussed her on one of the episodes, but I'm not going to tell her which one. Oh. Yeah. So she'll have to. We should start doing that to people. Do you remember when we tried to make a mystery oh. sound? <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. about that. My thing, my remember how we discussed having guests on? Mm-hmm. I think that that's going to be really good because, like, people are going to want to like tell listen their friends. friends and family, yeah. like, "Oh, go listen to this. Yeah. I was on." Yeah. So, Billy and the Bulls. Nice, snuck it Ooh. in early on. All right, I'm going to pause the puzzle. Just a toxic tornado over here. Oh, oh, I forgot about that. That crazy okay. bit. So um, now that we're 11 minutes in, <laughs> uh, this, is our first, this, this, this is going to be our first uh, episode released on a Sinister Saturday. <gasps> Yay! Ooh. Happy Sinister Saturday. Ooh, t-shirts idea. T-shirt idea. Um, so this mm. episode is kind of um, different, I guess. And you know what? Brandon might like it because it's not, well... I mean, it's not the lightest thing in the world, but that's our podcast. We're not it's talking not, about it's like, also it's not a Bailey episode that goes really yeah. dark. Mm-hmm. I think you're good. Nobody's really getting tortured. Um, okay, it's I'm entitling it the amazing story of Terry Joe Duperall. Okay, did she okay. survive? Is this so, a survivor too? You're gonna find I'm out. Gonna, I'm gonna jump in here, telling you about Doctor Arthur W. Duperall. Duperall. Um, he was born March 7th in 1921 to his parents, Ernest and Jane. Uh, he, at the time of the story that took place, he was 40 years old and he was a World War II veteran. He was a prominent optometrist. Ooh. Optometrist? Yeah. In Green Bay, Wisconsin. He was married to Jean Duperall who was 38. She was born July 16th, 1923 to William and Velasta. 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 V-A-L-A-S-T-A. Okay. That's how I would say it. Pasta. Let's Velasta. Let's bring that name back. Lacey, name your first child that. (laughs) That's not on the list. Oh, that's true. I'll just name her Val. Yeah. Um, so Jean and Arthur had three kids: Brian, Terry, Joe, and Renee. At the time of this story, Brian was fourteen, Terry, Joe was eleven, and Renee was seven. I don't know. Do you want to know their birthdays? Okay. Sure. If you're interested in like horoscopes or whatever, I guess it helps. Okay. We're here. You know, we've I come this far. Guess. We've come this far. <laughs> um, Brian was born October 27th, 1947. Okay. Terry Joe was born February 9th, 1950. Okay. And Renee was born August 6th, 1954. So close to your birthday. It's almost my birthday. I like the name Renee, yeah. too. So. I like the Terry Joe. Mm-hmm. So in November of 1961, they decided to go on a family trip. They chartered a luxury yacht for a week, mm-hmm. at least. They were they left it open. 
you know they were like it, let's go for at least a you week you want to be able to extend it if it's good exactly and by well, luxury yacht I don't know how it was in 1961 but in my head I'm par- picturing below deck style yeah. um but I don't think that's the case I'm gonna picture we getting a luxury lot yacht I don't know they paid 515 dollars for it so I was born the wrong time what year was that 1961. I'm gonna do. Hey, that's when my mom was born. Hey. So that's my connection. Um, they set sail. Wait, how much did they pay for the yacht? Five fifteen for a week. Okay, I'm gonna do it. Yeah, a week. Yeah. I feel like my hair looks really nice today, and I just. Should I keep going or is Bailey gonna have a Sorry, number? Sorry, I was it? I was muted. It looks like it's a little over five grand. That still doesn't feel like below deck style. Let me no. well, let, can I just show you what the boat is that they were on? Is yeah. it a raft? Then, no, it's not a raft. Um so anyway, they set sail from Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Fort Lauderdale. Florida, and they were going towards the Bahamas. So the yacht was in was called Bluebell, and it was a sixty foot twin masted masted sailing yacht. So oh, there's this is like what it looks like. So it's it's not like below deck style. It's a lot of work sailing. Sorry. This is more what I would picture for, like, luxury yacht in the 60s. Okay. Um, so, Arthur couldn't sail. So he asked his acquaintance, captain or skipper, um, Julian Harvey, to lead the way. Or, I guess, skipper the boat. I, I don't know. Uh, so a little bit about Mr. Harvey. He was paid $100 a day, and he was born March 1st, 1917 in Manhattan. So he was a little bit older than Arthur, but they were both March babies. Cute. He worked as a model for the John Roberts Powers Agency before enlisting in the military. Um, at the time of this story, he was 44 years old and a former major in the Air Force and a World War II veteran. So that's actually how he knew Arthur from military. Um, in addition to himself, he brought his wife, Mary Dean, who was 34. Um, she was brought along to be the cook. She was a former stewardess from like airplanes and she really she was aspiring writer she wanted to be a writer um fun fact she was julian's number sixth wife sure so not not one two three four because five. they died of disease bailey we'll get to that they got married in tijuana mexico um, How many so they said, on so, this boat? 
Well, the Duperall family, which was mom, dad, and the three kids, Harvey and his kid, or not his kid, his wife, number six. He if was you don't number trying them. to be like Henry VIII. Mm, he had six wives, right? He, um, they, he had a bunch, but they did not have happy endings. One of them did. Cool. There I were mean, others. I know. it. What's the song? It goes, um, divorce, beheaded, died, divorce, beheaded, survived. So the last one. Cool. And also the d- divorced ones, I guess. I mean, they yeah, didn't they're die. Right, probably. Anyway. They set sail on November 8th, 1961. They traveled to Bimini and Sandy Point, which are islands of the Bahamas. They bought souvenirs and they snorkeled. They had a lovely time. So that is the background. This is the story. On November 13th, at approximately 12.35 p.m., a crew member aboard an oil tanker spotted a dinghy drifting in the direction of the tanker. Inside the dinghy was Julian Harvey, frantically waving and shouting. He was yelling for help and said, quote, I have a dead baby on board. The crew rescued Harvey and inside the dinghy, dinghy they observed the body of a little red-haired girl still wearing a life jacket. Harvey identified himself, then explained what happened that led him to be marooned in a dinghy with the corpse of Rene Duperall. At around, this is what he said, at around 8.30 the night before, on November 12th, the Bluebell was in the Northwest Providence Channel between the Great Stirrup Cay and the Apaco Islands when it was struck by a strong squall. Do you guys know what a squall is? A real sudden little snowstorm. Sounds like a bird. Okay, it's not they a bird. Swap. It's And it's not a snowstorm, but it is okay. sudden. It's a sudden and sharp increase in wind speed, lasting minutes, mm. like a wind gust, but longer. Okay. The squall caused the vessel to keel over, and the main mast, main mast snapped. The mast first injured Mary Dean and Arthur before puncturing the ship's hull. The main mast falling pulled the mizzen, which is the smaller mast, and these separated Harvey from the others on the yacht. He tried to clear the deck to get to and help his passengers, but a fire broke out on board. He was forced to abandon the catch on a dinghy. In the wreckage, he found the body of Renee floating in the water. He pulled her aboard the dinghy and attempted to revive her. Unsuccessful, he kept the body with him as a sign of respect. Because how she old was seven. Oh, okay. Harvey was transported to Nassau. Nassau? Maybe. Okay. Where he was questioned by authorities. Meanwhile, rescue boats and planes were sent to search the area for survivors. They found nothing. Some initially expressed some doubts regarding his claims due to his calm demeanor and the fact that the dinghy had been stocked with survival survival supplies. They were like, why was he so ready? Mm -hmm. Um, But there was no way to disprove his story, so he was allowed to return to Miami on November 15th. Um, There, he was questioned by the Coast Guard on November 16th. He reiterated his account of what happened. The sudden squall caused the masts 
masts. That's a hard word. Okay. The boat trees. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the, a, you you know what? That's right. I like that better. That's the new the sailing wall caused the boat trees to collapse, puncturing the hole, rupturing the gas tank, and starting a fire. So that's the story. He was sticking to it. On November 17th, Harvey was scheduled for another interrogation, and halfway through, he was informed that he was not the sole survivor. Oh. He was told that Terry Joe Duperall had been found and rescued the day before, and her condition was improving. It's like Jerry Springer. Oh, boy. Harvey's response was to exclaim, oh, my God. Then he calm. Then calmly he said, "Isn't that wonderful?" He was told at this time by Lieutenant Ernest Murdoch that there would be a full and official investigation into the shipwreck and casualties. After a bit more interrogation, Harvey asked to be excused. He was tired and wanted to speak to his wife's family. Harvey was released. Later that day, Harvey checked into the Sandman Motel under the name John Monroe, paying cash. He entered the room, sat down, and wrote a two-page note addressed to a close friend from the military. Oh, no. He placed the note on the dresser, walked into the bathroom, grabbed a razor blade, and slashed his thigh, ankles, and jugular vein. Jesus. Two hours later, a maid discovered his body. If he, I'm gonna say right now, if he is was responsible and he killed all those people and he did this before he was even found out i'm gonna be so mad about it i'm gonna be mad about it if he was like oh they found me out i'm just gonna kill myself why would I'm he kill gonna his be mad wife about it. though i don't know yet but i'm just telling you i'm gonna be mad about it and then drew smirked when i said that so i'm <laughs> already a little mad his suicide note did not explain why he committed suicide and there were no apologies it just said, I got too, ner- out. too t- well, he said, I got too tired and nervous. I couldn't stand it any longer. He requested a bur- bur- burial, bur- burial, burial at sea. That's every time I say bury, it's because I read it. Bury. He requested a burial at sea and mm-hmm. he asked that the recipient care for his 14 year old son, Lance. Oh. No. So. Let's rewind a bit back to November 16th, because this was November 17th. A Greek freighter called Captain Theo was sailing. (laughs) I wrote, is it called sailing if it doesn't have any sails? You're you're so pretty. (laughs) They're driving, they're driving on the ocean. That's what they're doing. But like... Would you say cratering? Freighter. Like, uh, freightering? Like a battleship is battleshipping? No, I wrote, I wrote the freighter was bopping through the Northwest <laughs> Providence Channel. As they do. <laughs> when second officer, here we go, Nikolas Spachidakis, it's Greek. Sorry. Uh- so we're going to take like this time to apologize to all the yeah. Greek listeners. Let's just move past it. Okay. The second <laughs> officer, Nikolas, 
spotted a small fishing vessel about a mile away from the freighter with his binoculars. He was confused because the boat was too small to be out in the middle of the ocean. He notified the captain. Here we go. Stelianos Quinsodontes. As they neared the fishermen, they discovered that Nicolas's initial observation was incorrect. It was not a fisherman on a fish boat. Fish boat? Yeah, on. <laughs> a fishing boat. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You are like a fish boat. You are so nautical, it's not even funny. I am a yachty. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a child floating aboard a two-by-five white cork raft. Damn. The child was blonde-haired, dressed in a white cotton blouse and pink corduroy slacks. She was leaning backwards and waving feebly. The captain ordered the freighter to stop, and they lowered a life raft. They instructed the child to not jump to the raft because there were sharks circling in the water that they could see from above. Oh my god. She eventually was lifted into the raft, then brought aboard the freighter. She was incoherent and barely able to speak. They quickly gave her water and orange juice. They sponged her her body with wet towels to remove some of the salt, and they applied Vaseline to her lips. It was then that she identified herself as 11-year-old Terry Jo Dubrawl. After she said her name, she promptly collapsed from exhaustion and heart failure. She then Mm -hmm. fell into a semi-comatose state. The Coast Guard was immediately notified by the captain of the discovery of Terry Joe. A rescue helicopter was sent to retrieve Terry Joe to airlift her to a hospital. She arrived in critical conditioning, condition, suffering from shock, severe sunburn, dehydration, exposure, arrhythmia, and kidney failure. Three hours after arriving in the hospital, Terry Joe began to slowly recuperate. However, Terry Joe would not have the strength to communicate what really happened to the Bluebell and its passengers for several days. On November 20th, Terry Joe revealed the truth. So, to recap, on the 13th is when the Julian Harvey was rescued, claiming that the boat caught fire and sunk on November 12th. She, Terry Joe, was rescued on November 16th. That's amazing. So, four days. Mm, sort of. Three and a half. Um, do you just know what kind drift. of arrhythmia, just out of curiosity? Cardiac? What more do you want? The actual, like, never mind. I mean, she had heart failure, so it was probably some kind of ventricular arrhythmia. Okay. Okay, can we move on? Yeah. Why do you want to know specifics? I was curious. Like, her organs were shutting down. Heart bad. Heart bad. That was with the medical. Heart bad. Kidneys bad. Skin bad. Kidneys can go back. Okay. So, on November 20th, this is what Terry Joe told authorities. They had been having a great vacation, and everyone was getting along really well. On the evening of November 12th, the family's eight chicken cacciatori 
and salad for dinner. Around 9 p.m., Terry Joe went down to the lower cabin to go to sleep. Everyone else was still up on deck. Terry Joe was later awoken by screams. Her brother, Brian, was calling for his father, Arthur, to help him. She could hear running and stomping and then silence. She investigated and found the, and what she came upon first were the bodies of her brother and mother with blood all over in the kitchen area. Oh my God. She turned away and continued searching. She saw Harvey carrying a bucket and asked him what happened. Harvey slapped Terry Joe, then shoved her back below deck, ordering her to get back down there. Terry Joe, being scared and in shock, returned to her cabin. About 15 minutes later, oil and water began rushing into her cabin. Harvey burst through the door with a rifle in hand. He made eye contact with Terry Joe. Then he turned and went back to the deck. It was at this time that Terry Joe remembered hearing hammering sounds. She waited a bit, then investigated. She found Harvey on the deck, lowering the dinghy into the water on the port side of the vessel. Terry asked Harvey if the boat was sinking. He said, yes, hold this, and he handed her the rope attached to the dinghy. Terry Joe's grip on the rope slipped, and the dinghy began to drift away. Like, he wanted her to hold his rescue boat for him. Yeah. And yeah. Her, her grip slipped, and his boat started to drift away. Oh, Damn no. it, Terry Joe. So Harvey dove into the water and swam toward the dinghy. It was then that Terry Joe realized that she had been abandoned. The boat began to sink into the ocean, so Terry Joe grabbed a small oblong cork float that had been latched to the deck. She tossed the float overboard, jumped in after it, and climbed onto it. The raft was still tied to the boat, though, so she frantically started searching for the knot. It was the middle of the night, mind you, so it was like pitch mm -hmm. black. Um, just as the raft started being pulled down under by the boat, um, she was able to untie it and freed it from the bluebell. Jesus. At this point, Terry Joe realized that Harvey was not to be trusted. She hid, she, she hid low on the raft and stayed quiet, fearing that if he, fearing that if he knew that she was still alive, he would come back to kill her. She stayed that way until the sun rose. She was relieved to see that Harvey was nowhere to be found, but relief was quickly replaced with dread when she realized that there was nothing to be seen, only ocean in every direction. Immediately, parrotfish began nipping at, the, at her through the ropes of the raft and at her feet that hung over into the water. Terry Joe drifted for almost three and a half days without food, water, or shelter. The raft was so small, she was forced to sit upright the entire time. Jesus. At night, she was exhausted and struggled to stay awake. She would pass out and then jerk herself back awake. On one occasion, she had fallen asleep and began dreaming. The way the moon reflected onto the ocean, it reminded her of the blue lights, that line an airplane landing strip. She dreamt that her parents were waiting at the end of the landing strip. She was going to meet them, so she jumped off the raft, which immediately woke her up. Fortunately, she didn't let go of the raft, but this caused her to become concerned about sleeping. So she was like, I can't sleep. Yeah. On November 14th, Terry Joe saw the rescuers searching for her in a red plane, but they couldn't see her. 
the combination of the white raft plus Terry Joe's white blouse and her blonde hair, she blended into the white caps of the waves. Mm. I have pictures to show you. So Terry Joe took off her shirt and began waving it around, trying to get their attention. They didn't see her. She saw many ships, but they were all too far away. And she knew she'd never be able to paddle towards them before succumbing to exhaustion or fatigue. So she kind of just like sat and waited. November 16th, Terry was losing hope. Her body was aching, her skin was burning, and her lips were swollen and dry. She was slowly losing consciousness. Terry Joe told investigators that the mast had been intact when she, or sorry, the boat tree had been intact when she jumped off of the sinking vessel. She said there had never been a fire, and she said that the sea was calm, no squalls. So she was kind of just like, Harvey was lying. What the fuck, Harv? While investigating, a lot of dirt was uncovered on Harvey. Mm. He had had difficulty holding a job for any significant length of time, and as a result, he was having serious financial troubles. In September 1961, so this happened in November, in September, just two months after he married Mary Dean, so they got married in July, he got a double indemnity insurance policy on her life. So in case you don't know, a double indemnity clause states that the payout would be doubled if the cause of death was accidental. Interestingly, this can, this can include murder if the murderer was not the beneficiary of the policy. So if somebody mm-hmm. else murdered Mary Dean, he could yeah. still have the double. In 1949, Harvey, his second wife, Joan Marie, and his mother-in-law, Myrtle May, were were in a car accident. Harvey was able to exit the vehicle before it skidded over a bridge into a river. Harvey was uninjured, but his wife and mother-in-law were killed. Harvey collected a nice little insurance payout from that. Additionally, Harvey also received insurance payouts from two of his boats sinking under suspicious circumstances. So, real stand-up guy. He has some really bad luck. Yes. Or, or really good luck because he sure is just making money. Bad luck with lives. Good Mm -hmm. luck with insurance. Yes. Yes. And bad luck with boats. This Mm -hmm. is his third boat. Boats are hard to keep. So in October. When you sink them. (laughs) Those were accidents, Lacey. God, suspicious accents. You're so against Harvey. In October 1961, Harvey had been hired by the owner of the the Bluebell yacht at $300 a month to be the captain for any tourists who chartered his boat. So, you know, in Below Deck, like Captain Lee, he doesn't own the boat. Yeah. The owner of the boat pays him to be the captain. The captain. Um, It's theorized that this is when Harvey formulated the plot to murder his wife. He could claim she just vanished and the tourists would be good witnesses. The Duperoles were were his first clients. So they just got lucky. Mm. The investigation concluded that foul play was involved. It's believed that Harvey had only planned on killing his wife, but was perhaps witnessed by Dr. Duperall either in the act of murdering or while disposing of the body. 
Harvey then had to kill Arthur, which may have been witnessed by another Duperall. Therefore, Harvey kept having to kill the witnesses and scuttled the ship to cover up his crimes. It's also hypothesized that he used Renee's body simply to add credibility to his story. Unfortunately, there's not really any way to know for sure what exactly happened on the Bluebell. With the boat being gone, there is no crime scene. Renee's body was the only one recovered, and an autopsy determined that she had died of drowning. Terry Jo only saw her brother and, and mother, and Harvey didn't confess to anything, obviously. So, the Coast Guard released a statement saying, quote, It is concluded that the catch Blue Bell was intentionally sunk, scuttled. It is further concluded that Arthur Duperall, Jean Duperall, Brian Duperall, and Mary Jordan Harvey lost their lives at the hands of Julian A. Harvey prior to the sinking of the vessel. The exact nature of the circumstances whereby these lives were lost or the order in which they perished cannot be ascertained. It is further, further concluded that the motives for the acts of Julian A. Harvey cannot be ascertained, However, the fact that he was the sole beneficiary of his wife's insurance policy and that he was sorely in need of funds must be considered. So basically they were like, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to tell you really anything about what happened. But I noticed, did you notice that they left Rene Duperall out of his like list of victims? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I well, they said that they, the people they listed were dead before the ship sank, was what they said, right? I feel like... They said that they've concluded that Arthur, Jean, Brian, so mom, dad, and older brother, and then Harvey's wife lost their lives at the hands of Julie and Harvey. Oh, oh. Oh, yeah, so that is weird then. I feel like they just, because they know that she drowned, they can't... Convincingly say, say that, that it was her. He did it. Yeah. Um, and just so you know, scuttled means uh, like when the crew deliberately sinks a ship. That's I cool. got that through context clues. Look yeah. at you. You did a great job. Thanks. That's a cool new word, though. I didn't have that word. Yeah. She's she's Thank very, you. very nautical now, Lacey. I know. Mm -hmm. Like, do yeah. you know where which side the port is? The, the left. left. And what's the other side called? Starboard. And where's the bow? In the back. What's the front called? <laughs> <laughs> i don't know but there's boat trees <laughs> i think that's the bow is in the front and the butt is in the back common confusion i'm gonna google this for you okay the coast guard of course went out to see if they could find anything as far as bodies wreckage etc they did find terry joe's raft that she drifted on for nearly four days a member of the Coast Guard retrieved the cork raft from the ocean, and as he grabbed it, it began to disintegrate in his hands. Wow. Yeah. That's wild. As I said, the bodies of Mary Dean, Arthur, Jean, and Brian were never recovered. Renee was buried in the family plot on December 2nd, 1961. Her headstone doubles as a memorial to her mother, father, and brother. Terry Joe returned to Green Bay to live with her paternal grandmother, aunt and three cousins in 1962 she changed her name to terry um so instead of t-e-r-r-y she's going by t-e-r-e -E. she didn't like that terry joe was viewed as a victim so she became terry um side note the bow is the front of the boat the stern is the back yeah obviously 
and the tree called the butt and the boat trees. It took a while to accept that. Oh, sorry, skipped. Um, as a result of some superb psychological coping strategies, she was taught to suppress her trauma. Uh, it took her very Elsa conceal, don't feel. Yeah. It took a while for her to accept that her father was really dead because she never saw his body. Like she saw her brother and her mother. Yeah. She saw Renee. She never saw her dad. So she kept returning to the ocean, hoping to find him alive. She did that for about 25 years before finally accepting that he was gone. She was just like holding out hope. Yeah. Hope can really kill someone. Hmm? I said hope can really like kill people. I mean, she's okay now. As an adult, Terry married Ron Fassbender Mm. and they each brought three kids to the marriage. Very Brady Bunch style. There's a story. I think that's the second part. What? Here's a story of a man named Brady. Oh, I don't know this. I didn't know the second, like, verse. I think that's the second verse. Okay. You were singing the second verse. Okay. The lovely lady. Yeah. Who was fun to watch, sisters? They have blonde hair. Like their mother. And Alice. One day when the fella met this lady. And now. We weren't even alive during when the Brady Bunch aired. I don't know why we know this. You guys are so good. Thanks, Lacey. I watched the Brady Bunch. Okay, but it was from the 70s. So is your mom. She's actually from the 60s. Oh, you She's were trying right, to compliment man. her. I'm done. Okay, so anyway, good. that's Terry and her husband, Ron. You also found out Alice was part of the Brady Bunch, too. I don't think she was in the theme song. She was definitely in the opening series. Yeah, she was in the cube. But that's because mom, dad, and six kids is eight. How are you going to do the center? The center right? was the the title. Yeah, so then where would Alice go? The bottom. How how many how many how many squares are there? Nine. Nine. <laughs> There's three boys, three girls, a mom and a dad. How many is that? I don't know. You bitch. You know. <laughs> but then they would all fit around the title, right? No, look, guys. My God, <laughs> it's it's the three girls and Carol. Mike at the bottom, and the three boys, and in the middle is Alice. But then her cube, very Hollywood style, flips around, and it says, The Brady Bunch. Yeah, I forgot who Alice was. I was thinking she was a daughter, and I was like, why do we think Alice wasn't in there? She's not in the family. Oh my god. (laughs) I can't believe you said Alice wasn't in the family. But Alice Alice lived with them. She was a part of the family. She did. did. Have we learned everything about Terry? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> is really there more here. yeah oh good <laughs> um she got a bachelor's degree in cultural geography from the university of wisconsin green bay what terry Wait, did you just say oh my wisconsin? god wisconsin i don't know my three-year-old just threw a book 
Well, she doesn't like that one. It startled (laughs) me. The real question is why is she still awake? Mm. Um, From the University of Wisconsin, 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 Green Bay, Terry went on to lead a successful career as a water management specialist. She worked for the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources for over 14 years before retiring. Once retired, Terry Terry and Ron left Wisconsin and moved to the coast. She said that she wanted to live near the ocean to be closer to her family. Oh, and also, she also wanted to help protect the ocean because the ocean had protected her. Terry went on to work in water resources and water regulation and zoning. As a result of Terry's experience, in 1962, lifeboats and rafts were changed from white to bright orange. Nice. Good job, Terry. She released, oh, sorry. In 2010, she released a memoir entitled Alone, colon, Orphaned on the Ocean. She has done two TV interviews. In 1988, she was on Oprah, where she was reunited with the second officer, Nicolas and the captain, Stylianos, who rescued her. In 2010, she was interviewed by Matt Lauer and theorized why she, and together they theorized why she was left alive. Many others have theorized as well. Some think that subconsciously Harvey wanted to get caught. I don't think so. No. And others think, like, he tried real hard to lie. And he then he killed a lot of people. I think he was fine with yeah. Nothing. Others think that it was his intention to kill Terry, but when she dropped the rope to the dinghy, he, he had to abandon her or risk going down with the ship. Mm-hmm. And I he can... probably figured, what are the odds she's going to survive? Yeah. It it did sound to me, because you said that she, like, oil and water came, mm-hmm. like, under her door or whatever. It did kind of sound like maybe he was going to set it on fire. Yeah, like why, what was that, he gonna? What was he? What was his plan? Like, why would he give an eleven-year-old the rope to his dinghy? Yeah, I, I think he was maybe, planning on setting it on fire. Yeah, originally he was gonna set it on fire, and then maybe just like burning her alive was a little bit too much for him. Um, but or like strangling, I, well, stranding her. Yeah, he had a rifle at some mm-hmm. point. Yeah. So what if he was planning on setting fire, shooting her, and then? He needed somebody to hold his raft. Yeah. Yeah, maybe he... I don't know, but I'm sure that he was sure she would die when the boat sank. I don't think he was like, oh, maybe I'll get caught. I don't think anybody was really... It wasn't like this was, like, his first time doing, like, accident, like, staging a murder so he can get money. Yeah. Yeah, I think this was the first time he staged a murder involving, like, Kids, people. five people. Kids, yeah. Um, like the odds of her surviving that were just so. I mean, that's wild. One thing, though, that I thought was interesting, as far as like Harvey's plan, um, mm-hmm. when callback when Theodosia Burr Alstein Alston went missing, mm-hmm. they had records of a storm that night. Mm-hmm. That was like the 1700s, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I would think that they'd have a record of a lack of storm. Yeah. On the night the bluebell went down. So like when he went and was like, there was a squall and we went like we, but like the, are they the able to tree like, fell over? Yeah, or, but like, I think it's like a squall big enough like to yeah. yeah. But it was big enough to knock a boat over. 
I mean, it's a sailboat. Yeah. Like I a, don't know. I feel like somebody would have wrote that down. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I think we can all agree that Harvey's a piece of shit. Yeah. I'm not even done yet. Oh my god. Lacey. I also think <laughs> that Harvey may have felt a little guilty for killing an entire family because that was not his... In- I don't think that... The Coast Guard doesn't Rid- think that that was his plan. Mm-hmm. His plan was originally just to kill Mary. Well, it went horribly um, wrong. Which, by the way, he married her in July and then tried to murder her in November. I think he <laughs> married her to get money. I think mm-hmm. you're right. Um, but, like, he has a son who was 14 at the time. So maybe mm-hmm. he felt bad about murdering children. At yeah. Like, I, I don't also, think I'd like to think he felt shitty. But I like I don't think he cares about like collateral damage though because he killed his mother in law for no mm-hmm. monetary gain. He didn't have yeah. a life insurance policy on her. He also like it probably was happening so fast that like he didn't have time to think. Oh crap! I'm killing kids because like he's just somebody adrenaline. Saw him and he had like to, yeah. oh crap! People keep saying me like, like I need to that. start yeah. murdering people. Although I will say I will disagree with that slightly because it sounds to me like. Renee was a very deliberate I need to kill her in a way that looks like she died because the boat went down and bring her body with me. Do you think that he but here like so she clear like she drowned. Yes. How would he have killed her while the boat was still? Well originally I was thinking that he just got her onto the life raft or whatever and then killed her in the water. But don't you think Terry Joe would have seen her like moving or around her. or something. Yeah. Yes. But then the other thing is that T- Renee had a life jacket on. Yeah. Why would she have a life jacket on if she was already dead? I mean, he could have done that to make it look. Mm-hmm. I-, I feel confident that he drowned her. Yeah. I, I just don't know. Did he do it on the boat? I wonder. And get it all set up? Or did he get her in the raft? And then once they were adrift, he drowned her. I don't know. I think that he... Um... She was one of those, whatever. Like, she's gonna go down with the ship, like Terry. Mm-hmm. And then, as he was floating around in his dinghy, he just came across her corpse and was like, "Oh, okay, this could help my story and make me look a little bit more sympathetic, more heroic." That I tried to save the child. Yeah, but. Then I'm thrown off about the life jacket because would she have even? She was seven, right? Yeah, they, like she would have been the only person alive on the boat as it's going down. Would she have known or been able to get to a life jacket and get that on and everything? Probably, I'm sure they go through like a whole safety thing. Like if like this happens, I don't know like, though. A seven year old is probably panicking. And yeah. when I mean when Terry went down to bed, everyone was still awake. So like I'm not sure when. We're just he went to bed things. at 9 p.m. and I think Harvey said the boat went down around midnight. Right. Yeah, I mean, this Harvey's story, like completely. That's the other thing. Reliable. Like, do we really trust that? Um. Actually, he said the boat went down at 8:30, and she said she went to bed around nine. So. He could have said anything about the time. Yeah. Like yeah. Nobody would have known. Mm-hmm. But, so the other thing I was thinking, that maybe he was, he didn't shoot Terry and just, like, left her on the boat. Because if her body had been found with gunshot wounds, 
That's big red flag. Yeah. And mother and brother, I don't know what happened to them, but Terry said there was blood all over. So, like, I, I mean, a jagged knife could look like a shark bite. It was yeah. also the kitchen. Like, I mean, you could assume that like, he could have just gotten a knife and stabbed yeah. him, right? Yeah. Or even if they were like hit in the head a couple times or whatever, that could look like damage that happens yeah. as the ship goes down. Yeah. Um, side note in the newspaper announcing the, the deaths, they had a picture of the Duperall family and Jean, mom, was labeled as Mrs. A. Duperall. Oh, that's cute. And I really hate that. Like they literally stripped her of her whole identity and just gave her like she was Arthur's wife. Mm-hmm. It was the sixties. She, like I know, but it's annoying. Like she it's, didn't. They didn't even give her her first name. They like Mrs. Arthur Duperall. Fuck that. Yeah. Okay, so um, mm-hmm. I have one more comment. I feel mm-hmm. like you know when you you said that she like fell asleep and she like remembers seeing her parents like on the um. Yeah. I feel like that. Like she, she was. Her, uh, I'm just hearing that, it makes me think of that her parents really calling her home to heaven. Well, that's sad. I would not yeah. do that with my kids. She's She was suffering and dying of dehydration. But she went on to live a very exciting, I'm just saying, life. like, in that moment, like, she was... Anyway. Whatever. Should we go back to the Brady Bunch, or are we good? What more do you want to talk about with the Brady Bunch? That I was right, that Alice lived in the family? Lacey's all good with the Brady Bunch. Can I just say one Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Apparently, at one point, things soured, and Alice actually left her job with the Brady's. In the show, or in real life? In the show. Oh, shoot, they were probably fine. Afterwards. She She came back? Mm-hmm. Back. Yep. The kids give Alice the cold shoulder after they think she has broken their trust, so Alice decides to leave her job as housekeeper. However, the kids soon regret the decision after the new housekeeper teaches them a lesson. I bet she came back. Google that it. was on November 24th, 1972. Oh, so season four, episode 10. All right. Well, that was sinister. <clears throat> Hold on, I'm not done. <laughs> that was sinister. <clears throat> so, you're Bailey. You're planning on changing what we're doing next week? Yeah, it's gonna yeah. be a surprise. Oh, for who? Everybody or just? Y- yeah, for you. Because I don't know what oh. I'm doing yet. I'm gonna discover it tomorrow. <sighs> Okay, so it's a surprise for you as well. Sure. I mean, you don't Yeah, they convinced her to return. (laughs) Thank God we figured that out. (laughs) (laughs) Help from Kay are able to track down Alice at the restaurant where she's taking a job. They apologize for the treatment and they convinced her to return. Now I can go to bed and rest. Yeah, so everything was fine there in the end. (laughs) Your three-year-old can also go to bed now. Season. Yeah, that's what's been keeping her up. Mm-hmm. The not knowing. Well, tell it's her. Understandable. The will she won't she come back. It's been agonizing. All right. Um, 
Well, that was sinister. And we were sarcastic. And we hope you keep listening. <laughs> <laughs>